This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera. A mix of old school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones the dice rule. There'll be no re-rolls, no fudging the dice, no metacurrency. The roll of the bones will determine the character's destiny, and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones. In a flashback, we heard that Reynard the leader of the Brethren of the Purifying Light had visited Inisgwyn, where he met with Abbot Wiglaf and fellow Brethren, Adric. We learned that Adric had been sent as an emissary to Kerudu to obtain the knowledge that Nedra possessed about the Keepers of the Five Jewels. Adric had offered the Serpent Queen a gift in the form of a young woman. In return, Adric was permitted to take an ink rubbing of the gold disc, on whose reverse were inscribed the names of the original Keepers of the Jewels. Wiglaf, in turn, had used this knowledge to research the line of keepers until he discovered their last known locations. Back in the present, the companions set sail once again aboard the Uberdraka, heading back towards Innis Gwyn to bring the gold disc recovered from Kerodu to Abbot Wiglaf. En route, the companions spotted another longship flying the Colwyn banner, and as the ships closed in on each other, they saw that it carried a familiar passenger, Branach, the Reeve of Halstone. Branagh boarded the Uberdraka from the other ship, known as the Eremore. He explained that he was also travelling to Inisgwyn, for Lady Colman had become ill, falling into a sleep from which she could not be awoken. There he would seek the help of the monk and his former comrade in arms, Cadfael. The companions relayed their trials to Branagh, who was saddened to hear of Keir's death. Later, as the two ships continued towards the Blessed Isle, Jenna, the woman the companions had rescued from Kerudu, opened up to Lena. She recounted that she had been a novitiate of the Nine at the temple in Porth Cullum, and had been deceived by Reynard and Adric into going to Kerudu, in the belief that she would perform missionary work. Then, as Innis Gwyn came into view, Jenna revealed that she had been to the Blessed Isle with Adric, and that he and Wiglaf were in fact friends. Chapter 34, Part 1, Day 37, Afternoon, Party Status, Beric, 28 out of 28 hit points, Lena, 20 out of 20 hit points, Valen, 15 out of 15 hit points, Talion, 21 out of 21 hit points, Knut, 23 out of 24 hit points, Spells available, Valen has memorized Push, Shield, Soothe, and Revive. Talion has memorized Poetic Prose, Resolve, and Pitch. Lena can pray for two first level miracles and one second level miracle. 
The sun had passed its zenith by the time the two ships arrived at the Blessed Isle. The tide was out, exposing the mile-long causeway that twice a day connected Innis Gwyn to the mainland, but the shallow draught of the longship design meant the two vessels were untroubled, gracefully beaching themselves upon the island's sandy shore. A rope ladder was thrown over the Uberdaka's side, and after Knut had left Ravin in command, the companions, along with Jenna, climbed down onto the sand, as Brannock did likewise from the Aeromore. The company proceeded up past sandy dunes, where clumps of long grass swayed in the fresh sea breeze, until they came to a track leading up from the causeway. They followed the path through pasture on either side, where which sheep grazed, the ewes being pestered for milk by the spring lambs. At the pasture's boundary was a small stream, where a dark-haired monk with an aquiline nose was cutting back the hemlock with a scythe. He looked up from his labour, clearly a little surprised by the presence of an armed group, and stared at them as they passed by. Beyond, to the east, was a small copse, whilst ahead to the west was an orchard of apple, plum and pear, whose delicate white and pink blossom danced away in the wind, and covered the ground in an ephemeral carpet. The track's incline became steeper as it led up the hill upon which the monastery stood, and soon pasture and orchards gave way to herb gardens and an apiary from which hundreds of honeybees went about their work. A pair of monks covered from head to toe were attending one of the dozen or so hives, and the companions watched as they delicately extracted a large piece of honeycomb. The Blessed Isle is famous for its mead, Brannock commented, nodding towards the pair. Truth be told, I prefer a mug of ale, my lord. But right now, I'd take anything, Beric replied, his brow beaded with perspiration. The monastery itself was surrounded by a stone wall, and soon the company passed through the gates into a cobbled courtyard. To the left were stables, in which a pair of heavy draught horses were housed, whereas to the right and ahead were a series of seemingly connected buildings. Almost on cue, the big monk, Brother Ranulf, appeared from the large doors in the building ahead. He walked briskly, and looked flustered, as if he had been caught unaware of the companion's arrival. But on seeing Canute, his expression changed to one of surprise and relief. Marching up, he flung his huge arms around his brother's shoulders. Thank the Nine. There was joy in his voice. Pulling back, he held Canute by the shoulders. I prayed that you would live. The fate determined it was not my time, Knut replied, knowing this reference to Skarne belief might irritate Vanoff. But if it did, the big monk did not let it show. Instead, he simply smiled. Are we reconciled then, brother? Never wish we were anything but, as long as you can accept that my path is not the same as yours. Knut nodded. Aye, that I can do. This is all very touching, Braddock interrupted in his characteristically abrupt manner. But these folks have business with the Abbot, and I with Brother Catfoyle. The monk had seemingly not noticed Braddock up until this point, and was clearly surprised by the Reeves' presence. My Lord Braddock, it has been a long time. So it has, Braddock replied. And I still remember how many men I lost on your blade. Ranulf looked uncomfortable. 
That was a different life, my lord. Oi, for cat file also. But time is short, and our needs are great. The Reef concluded. Very well. Follow me. Now that the party have reached the monastery, I need to determine what's going on. Back in episode 31, I asked a question of the Oracle, which I did not reveal at the time. I asked if Abbot Wiglaf was a member of the Brethren of the Purifying Light, and the result was a six, a yes and. I interpreted that as Wiglaf being close to their leader, Reynard of Harburg, and as being instrumental in the Brethren sending an emissary to Keridu. I also asked the Oracle if Jenna was a member of the Brethren, the answer to which was a straight no, and this sparked the idea that she was some kind of collateral in the Brethren's attempt to obtain the Serpent Queen's knowledge, and also that the endeavour would in some way be linked to the mission he had given to the party. I determined that when Wiglaf saw the rubbing of the gold disc and heard of its existence, that his greed should desire him to possess it. Now, in episode 33, we learned that the Brethren had manipulated Wiglaf's ascension to Abbot through blackmail, bribery and even murder, but I wonder how many of the monks genuinely support him. I'm going to roll a simple percentage die, that should suffice. 20%. Okay, so 16 of the 80 monks are Wiglaf's staunch supporters. This suggests that there is significant tension at the monastery. Next, is Ranulf one of those supporters? Two. That's a straight no. Okay, so given the tension at the monastery, has Wiglaf taken any other action to assert his authority and quell dissent? A three. That's a no but. So has something else happened at the monastery? A six. That's a yes and. Right then, let's get back to the story. Chapter 34 Part 2 Day 37 Late Afternoon Party Status The party status is unchanged. The companions followed Brother Ranulf inside, where they were shown to a large, sparse chamber, and the monk asked them to wait whilst he informed the abbot of their arrival. There was a single window high up on the east wall, which was filled with stained glass depicting representations of the Nine, and through which the late afternoon daylight shone, casting a myriad of coloured shapes upon the flagstone floor. Around the edge of the room was a continuous stone bench, whilst on the west wall hung a large symbol of the Nine wrought in copper. Upon entering, both Lena and Jenna faced the symbol, and made the ritual blessing by touching their foreheads, then their lips, before placing their hands over their hearts and then the companions seated themselves upon the bench. What do those gestures mean? Phelan asked with genuine curiosity as Lena sat down beside him. The cleric smiled at his interest. It is called the Trinity of Devotion, she explained. It is a vow. We make it at the start of each day, when we pray, and whenever we enter a hallowed place. We touch our foreheads to promise that the Nine are in our thoughts and deeds, our lips that our words will ever speak their truth 
and our hearts as affirmation of our faith. I see, Velen said, showing his understanding, but then shifted uncomfortably, looking troubled. What is it? Lena asked. I fear I should not be here, the mage replied. I am a heathen, am I not? Lena smiled at this. Yes, you are, she said playfully. And I am a heretic for loving you. At that moment, the door opened and Brother Catfile entered. He looked more drawn than when the companions had first met him, as if he carried some great weight upon his shoulders. Welcome, he announced jovially, despite his appearance, and immediately went to Brannock, offering the reeve an outstretched arm. Brannock, it's good to see you, he said, as the two men clasped hands. Likewise, my old friend. Brannock looked at the others. Don't let his habit fall you. There's no man I'd rather stand shoulder with in the shield wall. Cadfar laughed, slapping the reeve on the arm. <laughs> in another life, perhaps. The only weapon I wield now is the hoe. <laughs> but pray tell, what brings you to the Blessed Isle? Brannock relayed the situation regarding Lady Neve, as the older monk listened intently. These are ill tidings indeed. The monk surmised, once the reeve had finished. Come you then, Trudevened. I would not ask if the need was not great. Catfell took Braddock's hand again, this time in both hands. I will come, so long as the abbot gives me leave. As if on cue, the door opened again, and in strode Abbot Wiglaf, accompanied by Ranulf. Do you have it? He demanded, without any attempt at pleasantries. The companions looked at each other, slightly taken aback. Aye, Beric confirmed. We have it, he said, pulling the disc from a sack in which he carried it. Wiglaf's eyes grew round. His desire to possess it was plain to see. And we found something else, Lena interjected, drawing the abbot's attention to Jenna. You? Wiglaf exclaimed in surprise. For a moment he looked panicked but the abbot quickly composed himself. I remember you came here once. He remarked slyly. I did. Jenna replied, affording the abbot no deference. With your friend Adric. The novitiate almost spat her words. Wiglaf remained calm. In fact, his whole demeanor became oily. I'm glad to see you well. Pray, how is Adric? The abbot said, Unctuously. I know not, but I pray he's dead. There was venom in Jenna's words. Come, child. The abbot appealed in a conciliatory tone. I know not what Adric has done to cause offence, but such words do not befit a young woman with hopes of entering the priesthood. Jenna's cheeks reddened, and she opened her mouth to respond, but Lena put her hand on the novitiate's arm. The cleric realised that the word of one woman was hardly proof of Wiglaf's allegiances. And whilst, like Cairnoth, the abbot made her skin cool, they needed to get access to the library. Father, she said, addressing Wiglaf with the deference his position afforded. Let us not quarrel. We have recovered the disc, as you requested, at great personal loss. 
Will you now permit us access to the Great Library, as we agreed? Wiglaf is torn here. On the one hand, knowing the dangers of Kerudu, he never expected the companions to return. Now that they have, he greatly desires to possess the disc. On the other hand, his allegiance to the Brethren of the Purifying Light means that his duty is to hinder their progress. I am going to make a wisdom check for the abbot. If he succeeds, he will renege on their agreement and refuse access to the library. If he fails, his greed will get the better of him. Wiglaf will need to roll equal or less than his wisdom of 15. Here is the roll. An 18. Well, that is a surprise. Wiglaf's eyes narrowed at the cleric, before his gaze turned towards the disc in Beric's hands. The coloured light from the window glinted off the burnished gold, further illuminating the chamber. The abbot involuntarily licked his lips. Very well, he replied, not taking his eyes from the object of his desire. You may access the library. Then turning back to Lena, he added, But only you. I cannot allow the heathens to do so. A sardonic smile spread upon the abbot's lips. They must remain beyond the monastery's walls. Lena looked at the others, who each nodded their assent. Very well. Thank you, father. The abbot smirked in satisfaction. Good. On the morrow, Brother Ranulf here will escort you to the library and explain the rules of conduct. Wiglaf turned to Ranulf. Take the disc to my chamber, he instructed. Beric handed the disc over to the big monk, who presently left the chamber. Now, Wiglaf said, turning his attention to Brannock. What business does the Reeve of Halstone have at the Blessed Isle? There is an opportunity here for the Brethren to weaken Lord Conwyn, by Wiglaf refusing to permit Cadfile to leave Inisgwyn, and therefore putting Lady Neve's life in danger. On the other hand, Braddock is a powerful and intimidating man, whom the abbot would probably not wish to displease in person. As this is an act of persuasion on the part of Brannock, I am going to make a charisma check for the Reeve, but I will apply a minus four penalty, meaning that Brannock will need to roll a nine or less to succeed. A five. It would seem that Wiglaf does not wish to risk drawing the Reeve's anger. Now Cadfell used to be the monastery's librarian, but as one of Wiglaf's most outspoken critics, the abbot removed him from his position and appointed one of his toadies instead. Cadfell vehemently opposes the abbot's policies and has seen enough to suspect that Wiglaf is corrupt. That, as well as his friendship with Braddock, will mean that he is willing to help the companions. So whilst I'm here behind the screen, I'm going to ask the Oracle whether Cadfell knows anything about the Brethren. A three. That's a no but. Okay, that but makes me think that perhaps Ranulf overheard or listened in on Wiglaf's conversations with Reynard of Adric, and then told Cadfell. Is that true? A four. That's a yes but. 
That suggests that Vanoff heard some of the conversations, but not all. So based on that, I think I'm going to make a table of six things that Vanoff may have overheard, and roll three times. These will be the things that Cadfell might divulge to the companions. Back in a minute. Okay, I'm back. Time to roll on the table. A one, a four, and a five. Alright then, let's get back to the story. Chapter 34, Part 3, Day 37, Early Evening Party Status The party status is unchanged. The companions were pleasantly surprised as they entered the guesthouse. It was clean and well-maintained, despite Catfile explaining that it had not been occupied for some time. In some regards, it resembled a small tavern in that the ground floor was entirely given way to a large communal space, with a kitchen and pantry to the rear, whilst the upper floor contained an open dormitory. Cadfail had arranged for supplies to be brought from the monastery stores, and as such, the pantry was stocked with the basics of bread, cheese, ale, and even a pot of honey, whilst in the communal room, a cauldron of hot pottage hung from the hearth spit. After Wiglaf had agreed to Brannock's request, Cadfell escorted the companions beyond the walls to where visitors to the monastery were accommodated, and now the monk sat with them as they partook of steaming bowls of the stew and relayed the tale of their travels. Must tread carefully, my friends, Cadfell commented, his face dark. Myself know little of these brethren, other than that they are fanatics who twist the teachings of the church, but I can tell you that these clerics, Reynard and Adric, were here more than seven days hence. Brother Ranulph overheard their conversation with the abbot, and what he heard was most disturbing. How so? Lena asked. This Reynard is scheming to take control of the kingdom. He seeks to usurp the throne and give rise to a religious state, one based on the Brethren's ideology. The companions looked at Cadfell, dumbfounded. Surely that's treason. Beric stated rhetorically, And they will create a land where my kind are persecuted. Valen added, Aye, Branach agreed, but without proof. The Reeve left this thought hanging. Tis not all. These jewels you've spoken of, Reynard claims to have already found three of them. Three? Valen exclaimed. This is grave news indeed. But not only that, Zarek, Adric, as a rubbing of the gold disc. The monk added. What of it? Beric asked. Apparently, it had the names of the original keepers engraved on its reverse. I saw those names, but I knew not their significance. See here. Balin retrieved the piece of parchment from his pack, upon which he had copied the names. Then I should be able to use that when searching the library, Lena observed. Ah, alas. It will not aid you. Wiglaf has already gathered all the documents pertaining to the jewels and sealed them in the library's vault. And the only person with a key to the vault is the abbot. So it has all been for naught. Caradu 
Our friends' deaths. Not so, Cadfell countered. There is another way. Chapter 34, Part 4, Day 37, Night. Party status. The party status is unchanged. It was dark by the time the party arrived at the hut, but the soft glow of the waning moon provided just enough illumination to light their way. Cadfell had given them a hastily drawn map and explained that in the wake of the Scarnay raids of previous years, the old abbot had arranged for an escape passage to be excavated, leading from the crypt out to a small cabin concealed within a copse a quarter of a mile to the east of the monastery. Once in the crypt, Cadfal explained that a secret doorway would give them access to the scrollarium, a chamber beneath the library where the most ancient and fragile manuscripts were kept, which in turn led to the vault. Not only that, but the monk had revealed that upon the old abbot's passing, he had temporarily been the holder of the vault key, and in that time had made a copy that, as librarian, he had hidden in the scrollarium. Brannock remained at the guest house. The reeve was all too wary of compromising Lord Colwyn should the companions be caught. But Jenna had accompanied them, for the young woman was keen to do anything she could to thwart the men who had robbed her of her dignity and refused to stay behind. The cabin was a basic single-room structure, reminiscent of a shepherd's hut, though it was equipped with blankets, tinderboxes and candles, and was clearly maintained, for there was little sign of dust and cobwebs as one might expect otherwise. In the centre of the room was a trapdoor, beyond which a ladder disappeared into the darkness. Beric lit a torch, which he gave to Jenna to hold. Then with the warrior leading the way, the companions one by one descended into the gloom. The party found themselves in a tunnel hewn from the rock that was not dissimilar to the construction of a mine. Beric thought back to their time at Four Rivers and the dwarf Torsten would he approve of this tunnel's construction, he wondered. They continued on along the passage, which was wide enough to walk two abreast. Knut walked shoulder to shoulder with Beric. Lena followed after with Jenna, with Valen and Talion bringing up the rear. After travelling some 300 yards, the tunnel, which up until this point had been relatively straight, was interrupted by a large four-foot diameter borehole in the southern wall. The rock around the opening was ragged, as if cut by some kind of blade, and in other places it appeared to have dissolved away. Beric turned to the others. I'm no engineer, but this does not look like the work of miners, he said grimly. We best be on our guard. After continuing for another hundred yards, the end of the passage came into view. Cadfell had told them to expect a stone door, which from the crypt would have been hidden from would-be pursuers. But instead, the doorway had been smashed open, and now rock and rubble lay scattered about. The soft glow of torchlight flickered from the walls beyond the opening, 
and was occasionally broken by the fluttering shadow of something moving in the chamber ahead. The companions readied their weapons, just as a strange chittering sound could be heard. Beric signalled for the others to pause, and the warrior cautiously poked his head through the opening. He stifled a gasp, for there, crawling over a broken sarcophagus, feasting on the rotting corpse within, was a black-armoured monstrosity. Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you like what you've heard, then please do consider giving it a positive review in your podcatcher of choice. Once again, where would I be without my amazing and growing cast of voice actors? And this episode has a veritable bounty of talent. Returning to the role of Abbott Wiglaf is Robin Sampson. Robin is the creator of his own hybrid solo actual play podcast, Stories from the First Watch. If you like what I do here, then you should definitely check out Robin's show, it's firmly on my list of favourites. Also returning in the role of Jenna is Fiona Katie Howard. Fiona is an improviser and actor who established the What Am I Rolling and the GM Book Club podcasts. You can find Fiona at www.flowcode.com forward slash page forward slash FKTH. Another return guest reprising the role of Brother Cadfell is Dave Patterson host of the wonderful chimera that is the Frankenstein RPG podcast. You can find Dave on X at Dave Peters. Yet another returning talent, reprising the role of Brother Ranulph, is Kevin Conyers. Kevin has a blog with all kinds of OSR goodness at www.floodedrealms.com. Finally, returning once again in the role of Canute, is John Cohen, creator of Tale of the Manticore. My sincere thanks to each and every one of you. I'll put these wonderful folks links in the show notes. You can also help by liking or reposting new episode announcements or by recommending the show online or to a friend. You really can't beat the power of word of mouth. Alternatively, if you'd like to show your appreciation by buying me a metaphorical cup of tea, then I now have a Kofi page at ko-fi.com forward slash legend of the bones. Any donations will go towards the show's running costs. I'd also love to know what you think of the show and I do respond to every message I receive. So with that in mind, you can contact me on X at Legend Bones, Mastodon at Legend Bones at ttrpg-hangout.social, Blue Sky at Legend Bones, Instagram at Legend of the Bones, email at legendofthebones at gmail.com, or go to legendofthebones.blogspot.com for show notes, house rules, character profiles, art, maps, and more. Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventurers as the bones decide their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Hello, this is Dave from the Frankenstein's role-playing game podcast. We'd like you to listen to us. Well, because you hear things like this. Not once for yes, twice for oh, no. How about that? Can you hear me now? Yes. Yes, yes, we can. Faintly, but you're... You are quite quiet, though. Well, well that's yeah, because you, I was over you, here because I keep forgetting that if you've got a microphone, you have to be somewhere near it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's almost like sound is a is a physical thing. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to intimidate you guys and make you feel that you're dealing with a professional. So if this is the level of professionalism you're looking for in podcasts, then please do come and join us. The Frankenstein's RPG podcast where we try the truly Herculean task of stitching together 
the ultimate role-playing game, and by ultimate we're using it in its very broadest sense, Frankenstein's RPG podcast, available on all good podcast networks. Come and find us.